I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. So welcome to the show. I am Dan, the producer and occasional host instead of Claudia. So thank you for listening. And joining me today is a a woman of many labels, I should say. Um, her name is Tiana, and she is a, a a coach, a project manager, a songwriter, a singer. She may debate the last one there based on her post. However, when you hear what she wrote and sang, I think you'll agree. So I'm going to play a clip of that real quick and we'll come back and I'll introduce you listeners. If we could turn, turn back the hands of time and press rewind, would we do this over again? Don't pretend cause we know we're both toxic. Just being honest Together we were terrible Life was so unbearable Highly predictable That we would be here in this place Is this love? Is it hate? I wish I never met you I'll never forget you so that is a clip of Rewind by, by Tiana, and I just want to first welcome you to the show. Uh, thank you for joining me tonight, today. Well, thanks for um, having me on the show. I'm, I'm really excited to be able to, you know, share my story. And, and I know it sounds a little strange to be excited about sharing something like this, but if you've ever been in the situation um, that I've been in and and kind of that that the quiet um, that happens around these things, being able to openly speak about it is, you know, an accomplishment and a milestone. So definitely uh, excited to be here. And it takes quite a bit of courage to first recognize that you're in that situation and then next to make a choice and make the effort to leave or to change and then even more courage to come back and speak about it. So thank you for sharing that courage. And uh and just having that. So Tiana, tell me a little bit, if you would, about you. We'll start with you. And then I want to hear about the song and how that came about. And, and then also your story of surviving abuse. Um, so tell me a little bit about you. Where, where are you from? What do you do? Who is Tiana? Sure. Well, uh, again, my name's Tiana and I'm actually from Michigan, from Southwest Michigan. Grew up really close to Lake Michigan growing up. And I had, uh, I would say, a supportive family 
lots of involvement from my uncles and aunts, grandparents, um, you know, grew up in, you know, in one school district where everybody knows everyone else, relatively small town. And so, and definitely someone who um, had a, a heavy religious, um, you know, line, lineup um, as coming up and, and coming of age. So a lot of the things that I knew about relationships or expectations were set primarily from being involved at church more than anything else. So, you know, one of the things that I will say is that what I've discovered is that a lot of times um, when you have a, a certain ideal about, about a relationship, then definitely that plays out into what you go out and seek to, to find. And definitely, you know, very positive and optimistic person, um, always have been, and, and definitely it, it helps me in a lot of situations. So uh, definitely, um, I would say had a, a, a relatively solid upbringing. I, I did not have a two-parent home um, growing up, so definitely from a single-parent home initially, and 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 definitely appreciate you know my background, um, educated. So uh, have a multiple degrees. Um, went to college at Western Michigan University and graduated with a master's degree in accounting. And actually, college is where I met my former spouse. Mm. So I hear you say that you came from a, a solid family, um, a, a good, strong faith background, a, a good childhood. And even with that background, you end up with someone who turns out to be, uh, as your song says, toxic. How, gosh, can you trace how that happened? That's such a, a big question, I know, but can you kind of see how, where that played out for you? Definitely. I, I think the one thing that I will say about my childhood, there are abandonment issues. I did not grow up with my father. Um, he has severe mental illness. And just as a child, I didn't understand why he wasn't in my life. Um, you know, so that was the initial, I think, um, presentation of this sense of wanting to belong and wanting to build something that, you know, in terms of family that would kind of um, closed the gap. And one of the interesting things that I, I found was a, a driver in how I managed my marriage was the fact that I, you know, I, I wanted my kids to have that solid nuclear family because my father wasn't in my life. So that's you know, really the first part, I, I think, of, of the issue is that you know, the absence of, of my father. And again, later on in life, we definitely reconciled and, and definitely I appreciate you know his his experiences but i didn't i didn't have that as a part of my upbringing so that was a, a gap that started there gotcha and so you get into this relationship in college where were your first inclinations that things were going wrong where it wasn't where you weren't in a healthy relationship so the interesting thing is there's a, a large age gap between me and my uh, my ex and it's 11 years. So I'm, you know, 20, 19, 20 years old in college, doing well, um, involved with a lot of activities. And, I, you know, I took a class where it just so happens he was in this class and I was in this class that neither one of us wanted to take it, right? We it was not at the top of our list. We just needed to, to continue. So I met him actually in an Africana women's, women's studies class of all places. 
And, um, you know, he was, I, I want to say, either majoring or minoring in Africana studies. And, and me, I'm just looking for an elective, uh, you know, as a business college student. And that's where we met. And he had a lot of um, interesting ideas, um, a lot of thoughts that I thought were contrarian. And, and me being, you know, this young intellectual, I just looked at that as, you know, like this assertiveness around being um, bold enough to share information, even if it's not popular. And so we ended up talking from that perspective, but otherwise I didn't know him until that moment. So we took that class. Um, he was involved with youth um, development. So, um, you know, where I'm from, there are a lot of at-risk youth. And so he worked actually in youth development where back in my hometown. And, and so, you know, he bring the kids to campus and, and he wanted me to speak to them. So, so we just kind of developed a, a relationship from there, started off really smooth and easy. And then, you know, I think the thing that gave me comfort, and this probably happens to a lot of people with uh, maybe religious backgrounds, is the fact that he shared the same faith. So, you know, you feel um, like, man, this could be the thing that works out really well. Uh, maybe this guy could be the one. So, you know, definitely early on, we didn't have a lot of red flags there, but, um, you know, definitely there was a pace that I would say w would be abnormal in any other context other than, well, you know, God brings someone in your life. It doesn't take a long time for you to recognize it. Let's get married. We did that. But looking back at the age I am now and looking at that situation, that in itself was a red flag. The, the fast pace of meeting someone, talking to someone, and then wanting to talk about marriage. Not, um, you, you know, it's, it, like I said, it, it's common in, in, you know, religious circles to, to do that. But uh, definitely that, that should have been a red flag to me. Hmm. And then, so you, you get married. You're moving forward with your life did how, how did the relationship take a turn at that point to be start becoming what you would classify as abusive really quickly actually so mm -hmm. it started off marriage in april and there were inklings of trouble in the first two weeks mm -hmm. i remember being a month about a month in and we were going back and forth about something as simple as I think Adam and Eve in the Bible, right? It's, it's this concept and this notion. And, and at this point, he was like, yeah, everything's Eve's fault. And I was like, well, you know, Adam doesn't get off the hook because, you know, if you're familiar with the Bible story, it's it's all about, you know, Adam and Eve and they disobeyed God. And, and you know, he was like, it's, it's her fault. And he was really adamant about that. And that was the first, like, thing that I remember is, like, his response to me just saying, I don't think that's the whole thing way to look at it was really um it, it more explosive than the situation called for mm. so you know that was like the first time where i was going oh no what what did i do here let me try to you know be a good person and be a good wife and maybe this will blow over and and, and you know and use prayer and, and other you know things to to manage that but it definitely was um you know pretty it started to go downhill pretty fast. The other thing that I think really, you know, in looking back at this, you know, I kind of wish I would have seen is the fact that he made it a point um, early on to say, I don't believe in birth control, right? So this is after we're married, I'm in school, he's in school still, he doesn't believe in birth control. I do, but I don't want to infringe upon his beliefs. So we did not use any prevention methods and I did get pregnant 
by August, that same year. Hmm. So controlling your space, controlling your body, it, it, it's hard to say should have, but because you, can, you can't should have and could have yourself, you know, into a hole, but that's a red flag for you now is seeing that he wanted to control your body and, and your family. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so of course with, you know, the pregnancy, then things spiral from there. But again, I was in a marriage for 13 years and there were red flags in month two. The interesting thing about it is that um, you can explain away things, um, you know, well, this, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. So, you know, baby comes along and I'm still doing well in school. I'm working all the way through the pregnancy, but we start to have trouble, financial troubles. And, um, you know, I'm in school for accounting, for financial management. So I know what I'm being taught and what to do, but he brought in this to the situation, a considerable amount of debt, um, poor debt collections and things of that nature that I had no idea about. He did not, he did not represent that accurately. So I would say probably around September is when the phone call started from collectors asking me to pay things that I had no knowledge of at all. And, and you know, I tried to get him to work with that and, and pay attention to it and he just would not. Um, so, you know, that was already another red flag where not com being completely honest about his background and, you know, where he was with certain things like credit. That's a major consideration for a marriage, not a minor one. And I did know enough to know that. Mm -hmm. But with my belief system, marriage is forever and you just figure it out. And mm -hmm. so at that time, I was just like, it is what it is. We're just, we're just going to have to manage it. And so you said 13 years you were married? Yeah, 13 years. When, when someone, so as an organization, DASIS often, and as volunteers and, and employees, we often hear this next question and it's, this is meant not to, you know, judge where you were at after 13 years, but just to get a sense of how you got to where you were and what you told yourself. When someone were, someone were to ask you, why, you know, why didn't you just leave? What, or what was it that finally made it happen for you? What's, what's your response to that to help people understand? You know, it's, my situation was interesting because there wasn't a lot of physical abuse, right? I think a, a lot of times we say to ourselves, at least, um, you know, people who have not been through it and even, you know, myself, you just go, well, I'm not being beaten, right? I'm not being ch choked. I'm not being strangled. I need to rely upon my belief system and forgive and work it forward because I said, you know, I made vows. And, and so I didn't see it as an option early on because there, there always is a cycle with these kinds of things where there's a bad behavior, right? There's the lead up. So it, it goes in a predictable cycle. There's a lead up where all of a sudden there's agitation. You don't know why your own pins and needles, then something relatively simple happens, blows a gasket, you know, this, this, there's a rampage. And then there's a, oh, I'm sorry. If, if you know, you triggered me by doing these things, maybe I didn't act the way I should have, but here's what you need to work on. There's a, let me, you know, woo you back into being comfortable here. 
and then there's the next build up to the cycle. So because of that, they would be spaced a certain way. You know, there's this blow up and then there's this calm period. I just thought they were one-off incidents and I never tied them together until several years in. I may have been at baby number two before I realized, I think we have a problem. But I, it was just always one thing or another where I felt like it, it wasn't a good time. So when I was in college, it wasn't a good time because we had this baby to take care of and we needed each other to work around schedules and other things. And so, you know, we had this escalation pattern going on. There was a lot, you know, infidelity early on as well, um, you know, after the, our first child was born and I sought counsel, right? What should I do in this situation? And the counsel I received is stay and work it out. If he's willing to work it out, you should be willing to work it out. And that's what I got for a really long time, even at the end from certain people that, you know, you would expect that would have different advice. And sometimes people just can't see past their own, you know, beliefs or, or their own life situations. So there were definitely times where I did seek advice, but it was not impartial advice, unfortunately. Yeah. And how does that feel so many years later that that advice came with such a bias? I understand it. You know, it, it helped me actually to understand why people stay even in physically abusive situations, right? Because again, I, I made the, uh, uh, you know, alluded to the fact that physical abuse is really easy to see, but that doesn't mean it's any easier to leave. For me, it was always, well, it can't be that bad, anything, as long as people are re repentant and, and want to be different, give them a chance because, you know, you want to just keep working it out for the sake of the kids or for your belief system or for your religious background or whatever. And so I didn't leave because I thought things would be different next time. And that's mm -hmm. the interesting thing about it. There's that, I think I alluded to being positive and optimistic at the beginning when I talked about myself, mm -hmm. that optimism helps get you through hard times, but sometimes that optimism can keep you in hard times. And in this particular situation, my optimism didn't help as much as probably, you know, being more realistic about things would have. That optimism can keep you in hard times. That's, that's, that's huge. As good as optimism can be, it can also be that, um, that negative thing. My goodness. Um, Tiana, what is it? Can you remember a specific point where you said, okay, this has to stop. I need to leave. We need to make this change. Is there a particular incident or a particular thought or a particular piece of advice, any of that that came about that helped you make that first conscious decision that it has to stop? Yeah. I had a moment of clarity and it's, you know, it's actually I have to tell a story in order for, to <laughs> help people understand why I finally left. So, you know, three kids later, many years later, we were up to maybe year 12, almost 13, right? Right before year 13 landmark. Um, you know, I was exhausted. So, you know, managing a career, managing three children and my mom come up because I had a trip to Florida to kind of help out with the kids. And, and she would just constantly ask me, are you, do you want to take a nap? You look so tired. Is there anything else I can do? And by this time I'd gotten into a pattern with my ex where he did nothing, right? Nothing for the kids. There were no baths. There were no story times. There were, was no sharing of responsibilities. We both had jobs, but I had the heavier burden for a lot of the things that 
required the day-to-day -day management. So I was exhausted and I was up until maybe 2 a.m. packing all of my belongings for this trip and um, leaving out. So I remember getting to the airport, heading out. It was maybe, it was the day before Valentine's Day. Around 10 p.m., call home just to check on everybody, check on the kid. It was maybe a 10 minute conversation. I love you, I love you too, goodbye. I would say within seven minutes, I get a text message from this woman who says, tell your husband to stop calling me. And I went, I can't tell him what to do. You know, you tell him. Well, I did. And I was like, well, you know, I want to tell you everything that's been going on for the last six years, right? So it was a six year long affair with someone at work where he worked um, previously. And what I realized by talking to this woman was that, you know, a few years prior to that, I'd lost everything. In a sense, we had a home, we both had jobs, we were getting ready to purchase a house, and he lost his job. I didn't know that he lost his job because of this relationship that he was having on the side. Um, and, and, and he even says, even to this day, that he didn't really know that that was the reason why they didn't renew his contract. But when that happened, it threw us into a financial pit that took me maybe six or seven years to get out of after that. And I had no idea that this was all because of this relationship, which he maintained over the years. So as the treatment of me worsened, you know, this is what he had going on in the background. And so I realized, well, this lady is older than our youngest child, right? Like she's been around longer than my youngest child had been at that point in time. And I was just like, what else do you have to lose other than your health, right? So for me, lost my credit standing lost my 401k cashing it out to save the family multiple times over bad financial decisions um you know stayed at home for a little while but had to go back to work because the family was in trouble because he decided to purchase a truck and trade in my paid off car to do that and so by the time i got to this point in time i just took an objective assessment and said okay what have you lost over the years where are you at now and what else do you are you willing to lose? At this point, I still had enough self-respect that I wasn't going to just take this particular situation and, and just turn it over and be forgiving. I just said, the next time it could be a phone call about a disease. The next time it could be a phone call about something else. Or the next time somebody can attack you because of these side relationships that you know nothing of, what are you going to do? What do you want, what are you gonna do now? You've got all of these things going for you on the career side. Luckily, I'd always invested in myself in that way. And I just said, I can't carry this anymore. I don't have anything else to lose other than myself completely. Mm. That was the wake up call. And again, I, I go back to what I said in the beginning, how, how courageous that is um, to make that assessment and to make that decision. So I'm so grateful you did. Now, part of why I'm grateful is because years later now you have written and recorded this song. Let's talk about Rewind. Where did this song come from and why did you release this um, on Facebook? So I actually, you know, one of the things that I did when I left um, my marriage three years ago was I, I decided to design a life because I started from scratch. I did have a job, so I had income. I had that going for me, but I didn't have 
you know, a car. I didn't have a house. I didn't have my, I took literally my own clothes and that was it and started over. So when I got my house, I, I didn't even have good credit. So the landlord had to just rent me the house based on my income. And, and luckily for me, it was enough to, to afford to do that. But I had to start over. And when I designed my life, one of the things I wanted to do is not live in fear because I'd spent so much time being afraid to leave, being afraid that, you know, he always threatened, I'm going to take the kids from you. You know, you, you, you were the primary, um, you know, income earner and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, and make no mistake. I went through the worst of times through the divorce process because a difficult person isn't going to be any less difficult before you, because you left. Mm. Right. So I had to start investing in myself. I, I did therapy. I did go to counseling um, just to get through the divorce and, and, and have it, it was nice to have a therapist say, this is how this is going to go because of the kind of person that you're dealing with. You can expect to see these things and everything she listed out for me, I did see. But at the same time, you know, going through counseling did help me to understand what is it? What is it that I really want next? How do I put my life back together? what do I, do I believe in myself? How do you build that back up? Cause you know, if you go through this kind of experience for too long, you'll start to believe things about yourself that aren't true. So you have to go back and kind of find these pieces and, and find your way back to who you really are. And in that process, what I ended up doing, um, which I'm grateful that I had the mind to do this throughout my marriage, I kept a journal. I kept a journal. And when I go back and look at it, it let me know that I wasn't as blind as I thought I was. I saw things, my reality is there, nine or 10 years worth of information that helped me to understand this was just a toxic situation and who I became in that situation in order to, to just like have this holding pattern, this uh, survival mode is what I call it, where it's just one crisis after the next. And if there isn't one, there's a one manufacturer just to keep you on your toes. That was mm -hmm. the kind of my life. Um, you know, it, it, it was just toxic. And there were some things that I did that enabled it, but there were some things that the other person did. And, and when you're um, in a situation like that, you bring out the worst in each other. And that's where the song came from. It was like, I, I decided to take up a singing class and I'd been writing music and, and, and just kind of um, nurturing some of these other talents and interests that I have. And I thought about it. I thought about even in divorce, how difficult it is still to deal with my ex in regards to parenting and sharing parenting, um, co-parenting. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, I decided just to put it on paper because you can't go back, right? It's it, the, the, the song talks about if we could turn back the hands of time and press rewind, will we do this all over again? Don't pretend be because we know we're both toxic and I'm just being honest. And it's, and it's that toxicity is mo on both sides because you have to get into a pattern that becomes kind of a subconscious action, right? I, I remember one time, I'll give you an example. I remember one time where somebody asked me a question. I can't remember what the question was. And it was just like in a normal conversation. And the way they asked that question prompted like this anger inside of me and I realized, you know, I, I had enough tools to walk myself back through that to say, this anger is far exceeds this conversation. What is this? And it was an auto response, an auto defensive mechanism that I built over the years. Because whenever I heard that question, 
usually a fight was coming. It wasn't just a simple, innocent question, right? So those are the things that you have to kind of unravel when you leave a situation and try to put the pieces of your life back together. You acknowledge that you've been changed in a sense by the experience, but it doesn't define you. Mm. Yeah, you've been changed, but it does not define you. And this, and again, you know, the song, listeners, you heard it earlier on. It's such a, it's, I don't know, for me, it was such an enveloping song. It brought me into it. I could feel the emotions. I could see it. You know, it was so uh, authentic and vulnerable. Um, is Was it, was it therapeutic for you in, in a sense? Yeah, it was yeah. because it's, it's kind of like one of the things that I've learned you know, since leaving is you can turn anything you're passionate about, anything that drives you to any kind of emotion, really, you can turn it into art because journaling was so therapeutic. And because I love music, putting those two things together made sense for me. For some other people, it may be art. For other people, it may be something else or, or creating jewelry. It may be anything creative can help you like a uh, release some of these thoughts and some of these, um, you know, ideas and notions so that you can move forward. So for me, that was a milestone moment because being A, I was afraid to sing publicly. That was a fear that I had. I did not believe that I had, um, you know, talent in that regard. And so it was kind of like, hey, face this because you want to try it. Do it even though you might be afraid. And just kind of pushing those boundaries and, and using my experience to write something that hopefully inspires someone else, you know, was the point. But definitely journaling, speaking. I took up public speaking since I left too, which was mm -hmm. another thing that I was not really comfortable with. Um, <laughs> and being able to kind of share some of my upbringing and background with other kids across the country, that was really another avenue for me to really talk about, you know, the, the fatherless background and, and some of those other difficulties in, in being growing up in a inner city um, neighborhood and some of the challenges of, of people telling you can't do something when you know you can. Um, and those things kind of helped me to get brave enough to do this, but it was not overnight. And the one thing that anybody who's in a situation like the one I was in, um, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a process. Um, you may not have all the answers. You may not even know where you're going to stay in some cases. Um, you may have to face the very thing that you were afraid to face to be free. And, and even with that, you have to maintain your freedom by having boundaries. But all those things come gradually and, and no one should feel like they have to have everything figured out to take a first step. You shouldn't have to feel like you have everything figured out in order to take your first step such a great advice. What a, and, and, you know, I, I think that's part of what we've talked about on the show before is that Liz has said something similar, our, our therapist, you don't have to know the end to take the next step. So very, very well said. And Tiana, how are you using this experience today? Then you mentioned some public speaking, uh, you're, you are as part of what you do professionally, you're, you're a coach. Does your experience play a part in all of that as well? It does. I think all of our experiences are collectively define where we are today 
and help us give us context for where we want to be. One of the things I've been very intentional about, and this was, you know, in starting back with dating and things of that nature, um, is, you know, what is it that I'm, I, I want in a relationship and being able to identify what I don't want. And there have been times where I've been dating that I had to let, you know, let situations go because I saw the signs and, and I really did a lot of um, research on narcissism and narcissistic abuse. Um, some of these things where you, you, it helps you to realize that your situation is not as unique as you thought it was even though it's you and one other person in your relationship, some of these patterns supersede just an individual understanding and being able to see that, you know, video after video on YouTube, book after book, article after article, I started to see that it's not unique um, to me. It's not just me. I'm not by myself going through these things and it's predictable. And because it's predictable, because there's a body of work to define what it is, it means that you can understand enough about it to avoid it going forward. So one of the things that I did, I did that research and that work and then looked at places where I might've been codependent. Was I looking for approval? Was I an approval seeking person? Um, how do you change that? Um, how do you put those boundaries in place? And so when I work with individuals, mentoring or coaching, I, I definitely use the, the notion of, boundaries especially when it comes to not just um relationships but even jobs you can have a job that is toxic for you meaning that you don't have boundaries and you don't feel like your needs are being met nor can you voice that those those situations lend themselves to, to helping this experience is helpful for that so i definitely use it on a regular basis yeah and one of the one of the things I wanted to ask in, during our conversation uh, actually comes from our executive director interim, uh, Deborah Hackworth. Um, she wanted me to make sure that I ask you what keeps you going. I think that's such a huge question. What, what do you think it is that keeps you going today after facing all of this? I think it's, it's, it's the realization that I have value, you know, I have value by just being me. Mm -hmm. And there's never, there's been some dark days where you feel like, why do I even try? Right. I've had days like that when I was married and, and even outside of it, there, there there's going to be some times where, you, where you're going to be by yourself, but just know that you have value. You don't have to have everything perfect. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers to have value. And because I know I have value, then I'm not going to give up because there's so much more value to uncover. Every day is going to bring me something new. Sometimes I'll be disappointed. Sometimes I'll be elated. But I know my life is... ...of our stories to tell to add to the collective and I believe that my experiences and who I am add value to the collective as well so it, it's definitely it starts with just believing things can be better seeing yourself as someone with value and being able to to know that some days are going to be up some days are going to be down but every day is still worth taking that next step wow yeah Jen, I can't thank you enough. This has been incredible. Thank you for sharing your story and inspiring others. Thank you for the music. Um, 
any last advice for someone listening right now that maybe can hear themselves, their story and yours, or see themselves in your shoes? Yeah. Um, silence and secrecy aren't your friends. A lot of times the things we go through, we keep to ourselves because we've been taught you want to keep people out of your business or you don't want people to look at your partner a certain way if you're not going to leave and, and all these things that go on in the back of your mind um, when you're in a situation that is unhealthy. But sometimes having at least one person that isn't close to the situation, somebody who just cares about you, who knows and understands what's going on, is going to benefit you. Um, you know, people, people who love you and want to see you live your best life, they aren't going to reject you because of what you're going through. But definitely keeping your struggle a secret is only just going to further isolate you. So definitely, even if it's of somebody you don't know, even if it's going to see a therapist, even if it's just online on social media, assuming that you have access to these things. I know some of us don't, right? Have enough freedom to even make a phone call. But anything you can do to connect yourself with people who really love and care about you and know who you really are, that's going to be helpful, even if you don't make any other changes today. That's something that I would recommend right away is talking about it with somebody that you trust. Mm. Great advice, Tiana. Um, so folks, the, the, the show notes have a link to Tiana's full song rewind. Um, and you know, in, in the post you say, find somebody with great vocals to do this. Uh, I really enjoyed your rendition. Who, who, who would you have do it? Uh, if all your dreams could come true. Huh. Well, you know, I think, Jennifer Hudson would be amazing. Right? <laughs> so if I could pick somebody to sing it, she'd, she'd do an amazing job, I'm sure. All right. If somebody's listening and you know Jennifer Hudson, get this to her, please. Um, <laughs> yes, she would. But, uh, but yours was, was amazing. So again, thank you so much for being a part of this and for telling your story, Tiana. Thank you for having me, Dan. I appreciate that. Hey, everybody. It's Tiana. I uh took a 30-day singing class and um, one of my projects was to sing this song and it's a song I wrote. So now that I'm at the end of the class, I need to have enough guts to sing it and uh, share it. So here you go. <clears throat> it's called Rewind. Press rewind, would we?
being honest It's all still a little hazy We argue like crazy All that for nothing Looking for something to hold on to I was me, you were you Over time we would prove that we win just to lose If we, if we could turn Turn back the hands of time And press rewind Would we do this over again? Don't pretend Cause we know we're both toxic Just being honest If we Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.